Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is Where We Live. I'm John Denkowski. Governor Daniel Malloy joins us today for his monthly visit to our show. You'll get a chance to ask him questions at 860-275-7266. Again, our phone number is 860-275-7266. You can send emails to live at wnpr.org. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Where We Live. We're also live today on CTN, the Connecticut Network. Governor Malloy was on with us last month on December 13th. It's one day before the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown. As he said in his State of the State address this week, the world changed on that day. A mass murder of small children and brave educators that has the entire country talking about guns, school safety, mental health, and violence in society. We'll be finding out more about recommendations that the vice president is making to the president on some of these issues coming up on Tuesday. But today we want to spend the bulk of our conversation talking about some of these issues with Governor Malloy. We welcome him back to the show. Uh, Good to see you, Governor. Thanks for being here. Great to be with you. Um, Obviously, there's a lot to talk about as far as policy. But because we haven't had a chance to talk uh, since that day, I'd really like to ask you some some questions about, about that day and how you've governed since then, because it's been remarkable to many of us. Uh, watching you go through this process, watching um, some of the emotion that you've shown, both during your State of the State address and during a press conference earlier. I'm wondering if you can take us back to that day again, just just a day after we we, we met, and just talk through a little bit about about some of of what you had to do that day. Well, I mean, I think the the day began as uh, most other days did. I got out and ran and uh, did some exercise, drank a lot of coffee, as I do in the morning, Uh, got to the office, had a series of meetings, um, I think it was in the second of those meetings that uh, Marco Jakin came in and said that there had been a, a shooting um, at or near a school, um, but there weren't any casualties. And then a little while later, we got a message that, well, perhaps there was one casualty, which, of course, then made it sound like, well, maybe it was a domestic situation. Um, uh, and then um, uh, I think uh, I was having my – we have these sub-cabinet meetings where we group people according to uh, – subject matter. So it was during the second one of those that I was informed that uh, this was far worse than uh, the early reports and, and in fact, that uh, many people um, had lost their lives. So obviously, I stopped. I got out of that meeting. I, I, um, I think we ended the meeting because both the lieutenant governor and I then proceeded down to uh, uh, Sandy Hook uh, School, actually to the firehouse. Um, got there and, um, uh, you know, just it, it was uh, People were rushing about. Um, our state police were there. I think there was one or two representatives, some some, some federal services, the uh, Sandy Hook. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the Newtown Fire uh, uh, Chief. I mean, the police chief was there. Uh, the first select one, select woman uh, who I did know. Um, uh, at some point, the superintendent showed up. We're all there. We're all basically outside. There, there's a place where uh, parents and family members are being held, but there's no perimeter set up. Uh, the, the place is a, is a bit of a mess, and, and the room's not substantially uh, in control. There are people coming and going, and you don't know who's coming in and who's coming out. So uh, 
we had a, a quick meeting, a, a series of meetings outside. Um, ultimately, the decision was made that um, uh, it, actually the police chief made the decision that he wanted to turn over the primary responsibility at the scene to the state police. I, I, I wanted to be very careful about that as a, a former mayor myself and, and certainly having and also having a criminal justice background as a prosecutor. I, I wanted that to be a cooperative decision. And uh, the chief said, hey, listen, I've got 46 people. You have a lot more. Let's, so, we, so that was decided. We established a permit around the building. We met with parents and, and loved ones. Uh, well, we said we'd be back in an hour. We did that an hour uh, later. In between, we organized the room substantially better. Uh, it was between the 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock hour that, that I think everyone, um, that I certainly and the people who, who were with me came to the conclusion that um, this could go on uh, well into the next day before um, uh, identifications would, would be made. And um, uh, we talked about how, to, how do we talk to uh, parents and, and family members and um, about 300 yards away is a senior center and, and you have to walk out to the road. So I grabbed the chief and I said, let's, let's walk over there and see what that building looks like. I'm looking for a building that might have a series of individual rooms. Uh, and we did do that walk, but, but that walk was, eh, was probably 500 yards. But you had to go through the street. You had to pass numerous people. As I'm walking, I'm being accosted, not accosted, yeah. but, but stopped by reporters and pictures are being taken. And so made the determination that we couldn't move people there. Um, it would be in, inhumane to move people there. Went back to the firehouse, uh, came to the conclusion, although they'd move all the apparatus out and there were t some tables set up in the uh, garage area, that was not an option. Then uh, talked to um, uh, the, the uh, police professionals and, you know, their, their position, their training is, hey, you don't, you don't say anything until you have absolute confirmation. Um, but uh, it was at that point I made the decision that somebody had to go in and tell these folks that uh, their loved one was not going to come home um, uh, that day and that effectively the school was uh, a crime scene and the crime scene might not be cleared for a very long time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that was, that was a, a, a tough thing to do. Uh, had the discussion, answered some questions. Obviously, uh, uh, different families handled that differently. Um, uh, but ultimately what happened is uh, within a half hour or 45 minutes, um, most of those family members had, had been transported back to their own homes to be with their own families, um, and, and in many cases with their surviving children or other family members. Uh, we did uh, end up having about three um, uh, folks remain in the firehouse well into the night. I think I left around 9 o'clock at night. There were still uh, uh, a dad, uh, one of the teachers, uh, husband of um, one of um, uh, the aides, uh, were still there, and they just they wanted the um, full closure. Um, uh, one of the other things, really important decisions that we made on the spot uh, when I got there, is that we were going to assign a trooper to every um, family, um, and uh, not just for the purposes of ascertaining information about uh, what children were wearing and that sort of thing, but uh, to, to provide service comfort. Um, and, and because we could see that this was going to be a gigantic event, to make sure that there was someone there to help them manage uh, their way through that. I think it was the best decision we ever made. Um, and uh, we didn't actually have enough trooper, troopers, so we had actually some, t some uh, police from different uh, um, 
cities and towns, they were there and they said, hey, we'll do it. And so we actually used a, some of them. We offered to replace them with troopers. They, they didn't want that done. The family certainly didn't want that done. Um, and that trooper was basically with them uh, working uh, through uh, uh, funerals, through uh, people being transported back to, to uh, uh, airports and, and that sort of thing. I, 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 uh, I think it was a textbook decision and uh, something that I'm sure will be replicated in the future if there are, well, until we change our ways and, and because we don't change our ways, there'll be additional of, of these types of things. And then, of course, the rest of it is a blur of um, uh, trying to console people, try to make sure, and that includes, when you say console people, I mean, that includes your state troopers, your local police officers, your firemen, all, many of uh, those folks who'd gone into the, the building and, and seen the, um, you know, unspeakable carnage, and uh, um, as well as families and parents and spouses and that sort of thing. And then, of course, uh, uh, on Monday, the uh, funerals began. I think I got, to, I, I think 10 or 11, I, I know 10, may, maybe 11, as well as a number of wakes. Um, Lieutenant Governor, by the way, performed ap absolutely fabulously doing um, there with me every step of the way. Uh, we attended, uh, frequently we couldn't attend the same funerals because there were multiple funerals taking place. Um, and everything, the last funeral, I think, was the Saturday following um, the incident. And, um, and then, of course, just swung in a personal basis into the holidays. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I don't think uh, there's been an hour in the day or perhaps an hour of the night that I haven't thought about this. Mm -hmm. When you were telling me the timeline of that day, you, you mentioned that originally you heard one report, then you heard another report. It was the same thing was happening in newsrooms all across America. We were learning different things at different times and even people who were on the ground there. Do you remember the moment at which you realized that this was what it was, that it wasn't, uh, and no one should be killed in, 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 uh, in a way like this, but that it was going to be 20 children, uh, young children? I mean, do you remember that moment yeah, that I you thought, a, oh my God, this is what happened when here? That, when I got, uh, you know, I was informed before I was in the car that, that this was a large casualty um, event and it was at a school, so the presumption was yeah. that there were going to be some number of teachers and, and students. Uh, as opposed to what initially appeared to be a domestic, right? Yes. Meaning that someone went in with the intention of shooting an adult who they knew. And uh, it was only in the car driving down, kind of in a little motorcade myself, and uh, uh, the lieutenant governor in a car and a, a lead car um, that, that we then got the details. So I was, I was in transit. Uh, by the time I arrived, uh, at the firehouse, um, I knew that. Actually, I, I left. Some, there's so many things that happened in such a uh, so rapidly. The, the president called me. Um, I told him that I was not prepared to make any statement yet. That I wanted to make sure that I had more information before I did. Um, I assured him he was um, it would be a okay with me that he say or do anything that he thought was appropriate for for him. But I was going to wait until I had more information. Uh, and I certainly at that point didn't want to be in a situation where I was compounding. Because, you know, there, phones are ubiquitous, which means uh, access to information are, uh, uh, is ubiquitous. And so I didn't want someone in the firehouse he hearing me say something before I had um, uh, spoken with them on the same subject. So I made that decision. The president did hold off for a couple of hours. Um, I think he made a, a, a statement perhaps around 2.45. Um, I made my first public statement, I think, at 3.30. Uh, when you talk about consoling the, the families and then consoling all of the first responders, 
One of the things that, that struck me about, about this particular crime, because of the nature of it, is there were, there were so many people to console. And, and I know that um, over the course of the next couple of days in the addresses that you were giving, you were trying to do that. You were essentially trying to con- console an entire state, which was stricken. Every single teacher in every single school felt scared that day. Every single parent felt scared that day. And I'm wondering how you you thought about that, that role that you had of trying to set people somewhat at ease on this day in which it seemed like everyone in our state was affected. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I'm i not sure I, I uh, processed that fully intellectually. I mean, I knew um, that uh, uh, at the firehouse, somebody had to take a lead um, and somebody had to decide that protocols that might fit another situation didn't fit this situation and that because I was the senior, you know, in essence the senior person there, I made that decision. After that, I, I wanted to be very respectful of the people. I mean, as understanding as, as devastating as this is to everyone in Newtown, it's far more devastating to the family members and the survivors, uh, far more devastating to the community. And so it was very important to me to, to, to honor uh, the first select w- woman, to, to honor the uh, the, the superintendent to make sure that that the local folks understood that I understood that 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 you know this was um, as it as bad as it is for everyone they were they were within that kind of initial ring and, and then you know you get to messaging um, I made a decision that uh, I was not you know I, I gave a very short statement twice um, that day I didn't want to get into discussions uh, about it I knew that there was plenty of time as there has proven to be plenty of time to talk about those things um, uh, the decision uh, by the community actually I, I think the decision to have a memorial service we there was a memorial service that night yes. uh, the night of the shooting um, at the Catholic Church I went to that then went back to the firehouse stayed there another hour and a half that's when I went home um, uh, and then things started to play themselves out there was a, a, a a counseling center sent up at the, the middle school the next day um, as part of my travels in Newtown the next day, in, including uh, to a synagogue. Um, I also got to, to there, uh, met a teacher who was, as you say, badly shaken. She happened to be a teacher from um, uh, Sandy Hook School, gave her a hug, talked to, talked to her, talked to her husband. She said she wasn't sure she could ever teach again. Um, I tell you this story mm-hmm. because I visited the, uh, the school in Monroe where we moved the Sandy Hook School, Sandy Hook school to, and um, that morning, which is a week or so ago, uh, I got up in the morning and I, I remember thinking, am I going to see the teacher? Um, and sure enough, um, uh, going through the cafeteria where the teachers were eating after having had kind of a convocation, uh, I got to see her, um, and uh, that, was, that was great. Um, as far as messaging, it was, listen, the, the, you, know, you have to express outrage and compassion um, and help people move on. And that's, that, that's you know, what I tried to do uh, that Sunday night at that memorial service, understanding that, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm the governor. I'm not the first selectman. I'm not the president. And, and um, I, I, I had a different role there. Um, one of the uh, interesting uh, experiences of the whole thing was... Um, the president was coming, and, and I think it was a good thing. And, and by the way, I think he gave an astounding speech. Uh, uh, in fact, after everyone heard the speech, they didn't know whether to applaud or what to do. There was like this, yeah. this moment that people waited, and, and it wasn't because they didn't like the speech. They just didn't know what was entirely appropriate. Um, but because the president was going to go room to room, 
Um, uh, he asked, uh, or the staff asked, that uh, uh, Pat Lodra, the, the first select woman, and my wife, Kathy, and I, uh, we split up and go to rooms so that the, the families wouldn't be waiting too long. And um, so we did that. So I got a chance then to speak with um, family members um, who I hadn't seen um, uh, since uh, uh, the Sandy Hook Firehouse. And we had some uh, wonderful discussions, and, and people exhibited uh, unbelievable strength um, uh, in, in many cases. Um, and so it was a, that was a wonderful experience. I think it was very upsetting to my wife, and it was upsetting to me. Um, yeah. My wife hadn't been there, so this was the first time she's meeting a, a lot of these folks. Um, but uh, uh, the strength that these parents, many of these parents exhibited and spouses was, was just amazing, and how many came. You know, I had a conversation with the White House folks, and they, they couldn't believe how many of the parents and family members came. And you know, this relates to something I said a little while later, uh, a little while earlier. They, they believe that this decision to assign everyone a, 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 a police officer as a liaison was, was helpful in that. Um, you know, so I had some time to think about what I was going to say, and, and, I, and I put some brief remarks together in my head, as I usually do, and, uh, and gave that address. We uh, have even joked with you on the show before about how you like to work and how you feel like if you work hard enough, you can get a lot of things done. And something that's, I guess, struck me in the last uh, couple weeks and, and seeing some of the emotion that you've shown in some of these times is that, look, Governor, I'll just say this. I'm a person like that, too. I think if I work hard enough, I can get a lot of things done. And um, sometimes things are out of your control. And I guess I'm wondering if that is something that struck you over the course of time, that this is a problem that as much as you would like to, you, you really couldn't do very much about. When you showed up that day, you were going to do the best you could. But Daniel Malloy, as hard as he was going to try, couldn't couldn't do all the things that he really wanted to do. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, but there's a role to play. I mean, listen, I, uh, there are many things in all of our lives that are beyond our control. Um, uh, and in many of those situations, a family member, a friend, or someone in authority steps forward to help you through that process, right? So, uh, and, and so here, I'm not, I'm not in control of this, but I feel an obligation to try to help as many people through the process um, uh, as I uh, as I could, and so uh, th that that's what you do. You know, you're never trained for this. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but I've been in public service through a number of tragedies, uh, not the least of which was the 9/11, where Stanford lost a, a, a good number of citizens. Although a very different type of uh, situation, uh, but 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 nonetheless devastating. And and you know, listen, you call upon every every one of those um, um, experiences to try to do the best you can in the next experience. When we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about some of the, the policy issues that come out of the Newtown shootings. We're talking with Governor Dan Malloy. If you want to join this conversation, ask some questions, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at WNPR.org. You can tweet us at where we live. This is where we live. I'm John Dankoski. We're talking with Governor Daniel Malloy. It's our, it's our monthly visit with him as he comes back to where we live. We're talking about the aftermath of the Newtown shootings. And if you want to join us, 860-275-7266. You gave your State of the State address earlier this week. Of course, it was a much different address than you'd expected to, to give when you started writing it in December. Uh, you led with a number of ideas and thoughts uh, that we're going through your head surrounding this. One that uh, stuck out to me was this idea that 
When it comes to preventing future acts of violence in our schools, let me say this. More guns are not the answer. Freedom is not a handgun on the hip of every teacher, and security should not mean a guard posted outside every classroom. Uh, talk me through that idea, because that's a, it's a very powerful statement, and it's clearly what you want to say about all this, along with other things that we'll talk about, about, uh, about large uh, capacity magazines and other things. But this idea of the role of teachers and the role of security in schools is, I think, something very important here. Well, uh, first of all, you know, what do you say? I, I, we, we have too many guns in the United States uh, for uh, really relating to our history um, and language that, that I believe was put into the Constitution really about uh, the role of the citizenry um, uh, to uh, help a newly formed government face the um, uh, or a government that had just been formed face the tyranny of a foreign power. Uh, from that, we got to the language in the Constitution, and from that, we've decided uh, that lots of people can have guns and as many guns as they want. And that there's nothing, you know, on its surface, there's nothing wrong with with all of that. Uh, we have five percent of the world's population, and apparently, fifty percent of the guns is a statistic that I've I've seen, but. But beyond the number of guns, we, we then created this very violent society. Now, listen, I'm, I'm 57 years old, so I grew up watching Bonanza and Gunsmoke. And, and as a kid, you watch Bonanza and Gunsmoke, and you watch people get killed, but you always did it with appreciation that that's not who we were anymore, right? Um, uh, lo and behold, um, and, 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 and certainly not wrapped up in the mind of you know, a, a young child growing up, our society was returning more rapidly to that th than it was the, the progress that we had been made, made probably in the prior hundred years when it came to violence. We became more violent. That's who we are. Um, and it's through the implements of violence. It's through, uh, it's through our, um, our, our culture, our arts, including uh, 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 movies. Uh, and then, of course, you, you have these new inventions, which is you can play any game you want on any TV in the world. And the ones that sell the best in America by far are the ones that, that uh, portend uh, violence. In, in fact, uh, on the day that this uh, incident occurred in Sandy Hook, um, you know, there, were, there, were, uh, a, a pro, there was a program out there that you could play shooting up a school. I mean, What's wrong with us now? But, but along with all that, and so so yeah, no, yeah, so they'll yeah, go back to yeah, this. So, no, so, yeah. no, so that's the the plan. And so then yeah. you hear people in in certain states say, "Well, listen, all we have to do is arm every teacher." Um, um, I I don't I I, I reject that. Um, we certainly have to have security in schools. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but but. Uh, you know, knowing what we know even publicly, and there'll be more that will eventually be known about this incident. This guy went in to, with the intention of um, shooting out uh, 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 the door and, and gaining access. He knew what he was doing. Um, uh, people can, can plan those kinds of attacks. We, we've got to do, we have to be more secure. We have to be more prepared. Uh, and we have to become a less violent, worshiping society. And we have to make sure that every person who buys a gun in America uh, does it uh, with a background check. Well, let's get to that cultural aspect since you brought it up first. It, it, some aspects to that, people are going to talk about violent video games. Uh, clearly, you know, our state has, has tried to court the entertainment industry. The entertainment industry is, is still making very, very violent films. There are lots of arguments about how big an effect that actually has. On that day that we talked, uh, the day before Sandy Hook, uh, you later that day had a press conference at, at, at the Colt building. 
here, which uh, many people are trying to, to turn into a, a, a national park of some sort to s- celebrate essentially our firearms history. We do have this long and cultured history here. How do we turn that around? How do we begin to m- make this conversation about guns a different conversation than the one that we seem to have all grown up with, with gun smoke and everything else, yeah, Governor? Yeah, but, but wait a minute. But, you know, every country, uh, every industrialized country had a gun manufacturing system. Um, uh, you can, uh, if you study armaments, for instance, in Germany, you understand that these hunting rifles that, that they constructed were, were actually works of art with, with carving and, and all. I mean, that, that, that's <coughs> not, that, 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 that there needed to be guns in America at some point, and, and even continuing today, uh, it, it doesn't take away from the fact that you don't, glor- we should not be glorifying uh, in our culture, in our arts, and in our uh, family rooms um, of, of violence. I mean, there's a difference. Listen, some movies are going to have to depict violence, um, but that's an experience that lasts uh, somewhere between 90 minutes and, and, and 225 minutes, and, and for most folks is a single event. Now, you take that experience, you write um, uh, a program um, uh, for to be played on your TV so that, that children can then live that experience, that 90-minute to two, two, uh, two hours and 25-minute experience, and they can live it for eight hours a day sitting on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the couch. It makes no sense. There's a disconnect um, because one thing um, we can appreciate and understand and respect doesn't mean that we then have to accept everything else that's related to it. But, but sh- should we have restrictions on the types of, of violence in video games? If you're talking about kids playing uh, first-person shooter video games, should we have laws to say we, we can't sell those anymore? I, I think we have to have laws that say either we can't sell them or they can't be sold to, to persons and homes where there are children or they're available, uh, or, or we just have to simply decide as a society that these are so unacceptable um, that there's no longer a marketplace. So it could be, it could be any of those things. I, I suspect that, the, that, that sales of those games have gone down since de- December 14th. I, I don't, don't know for sure, uh, but I suspect they have. I want to get to some phone calls here. Uh, we're talking with Governor Dana Malloy. Mary is in hand. Hi, Mary. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Governor, thank you so much for discussing these issues with us. Parents in this state are really worried, really nervous, and very concerned about um, school security and school safety. I attended a PTA meeting last night at my local elementary school. My son's a kindergartner, and our principal um, did a very good job. It was a thorough discussion of security measures in place, uh, security measures that will be put into place in the near future. And as I'm hearing all of this talk from my principal, I couldn't help but wonder how safe can we make buildings, elementary school buildings that have been built decades ago with no security measures like these in mind. Um, I'm sitting in a cafeteria last night with a wall of windows facing the front of the building, and I know a lot of new schools are not built that way anymore. The cost would be astronomical, but um, I'm just wondering if there's any discussion or the potential for discussion to address um, these old buildings that really can't secure our kids the way we now feel we need to. Mary, thank you. Yeah, Mary, uh, I I think that's why I set up a commission to look at this. That's why there's going to be discussions. Uh, I don't think there's an instantaneous answer to that, Mary, but I I know 
that Americans' uh, approach to security is very different today uh, than it was in the 1970s or the 1980s or the 1990s uh, or before 9-11. Um, so so if, if we think of this as a continuum where we will make ourselves more secure over time, understanding what the threats are, um, I, I think we can make meaningful uh, uh, progress. Now, that doesn't mean every window in a school is going to become uh, bulletproof glass, uh, but it does mean that we can um, uh, make entrances and exits um, more secure, um, and we can start to take on the most obvious uh, uh, issues uh, uh, first and then, and then work our way uh, uh, against the others. Um, so, I, I, Mary, I don't have a quick answer for you other than I firmly believe uh, that our state and other states will will be working on this issue uh, and local governments for the foreseeable future. What about school security personnel at every school? Because many uh, parents, just like Mary, are going to schools right now saying, we'd like to have more of a police presence on a regular basis. Others are, are concerned about that and what it might mean for children. What do you think about that? Well, listen, I'm, I'm a supporter of security in schools. I mean, as, as mayor of Stanford back in 1996, uh, you know, I, I brought to school uh, resource officer program to, to schools, uh, and I insisted at that time in 1996 uh, against the objections of, of um, uh, the Board of Education that, that, that you know, if we're going to have resource officers, they got to be wearing their uniform. That means all of their uniform because we have to teach young people how to have a relationship with police officers, which really had broken down in our society. Um, uh, and and uh, almost every high school in the state has some level of security. Most middle schools do. A lot of elementary schools don't. Um, do I think that that's going to happen? I, I, I think in more districts than not, that's probably going to happen. It is a local decision ultimately to be, to be made. Um, but, but there's no perfect security, and, and there's, um, um, uh, we can't do one without doing them all, I suppose, is what I'm saying. We can make ourselves more secure, but we have to make ourselves less violent. We have to have uh, uh, fewer guns in the hands of the wrong people, uh, and we have to examine uh, our own personal approaches uh, to this culture of violence. And, and so uh, let's not focus on any one of them. Let's focus on all of them, is what I'm trying to say. And that's what, in your advisory commission, you're trying to do. Maybe you can talk about what, what the plans are for this group. It's being uh, led by the mayor of Hamden. Six people in this advisory committee, and you're, you're meant to tackle, uh, you're, you're telling them you want to tackle guns, gun violence, mental health, all the issues that have come up after this. What do you hope to accomplish with this group? Well, I, I want to, uh, um, uh, clearly the legislature is <coughs> going to take things up, and, and clearly I, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to speak to this issue uh, on, an, on an ongoing basis. Um, and uh, what I would like is a roadmap of where we begin um, in making some of the changes and the in uh, the cross section of issues that I that I've just mentioned, uh, 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 the mayor of Hamden uh, has a great intellect. Has served on two prior panels uh, at my request. Uh, certainly, uh, will do a great job. We've actually put a lot of people on this panel and know something about mental health because I think that that's a major portion of the discussion that we have to have in our country and our approach to mental health. Um, and I'm speaking to that on an ongoing basis as well, as I was before, but I'll, I'll step it up even, e even more. Um, and uh, so I think by March, uh, we'll, we'll have some common sense uh, um, uh, recommendations to make, um, some of which 
will probably be put into statute by the legislature, some of which may be advisory uh, um, to board to, to local school systems who first and foremost have the uh, have the you know have the have the front line responsibilities in, in this area. When you talk about mental health, what specifically do we want to to address? Because I think, as you'd said at an earlier press conference, we we may never know why exactly Adam Lanza did what he did. And, and at this point, there's a lot of speculation about his background and his mental health record, but we don't know everything. And I think some people in the mental health community, people uh, worry about painting with too broad a brush the idea that, that people with mental disabilities of some sort may indeed be violent. Um, I'm wondering how we address this topic in a sensitive way so that we're not uh, essentially saying, here's someone who did this incredibly crazy, horrific thing, and we're going to just assume something about his mental state. Well, um, I think we know a little more than that. So I, I uh, uh, with all due respect, but I understand the principle of the, of the question and the point that you're getting at. Uh, and that is, uh, I, I think first and foremost, what I say about mental illness is the vast majority of people who are going to experience some form of mental illness in their life are going to recover from it. Mm -hmm. So why do we stigmatize it to the degree that we do? Um, and, and so I think we have to have an honest discussion about that. I am, you know, I, I, I grew up with uh, learning disabilities, and I'm, I've never hidden that um, at a, a tough childhood as a result of trying to overcome those. I am still meeting, uh, you know, 50 years after I was wrestling with these issues as a seven-year-old, I'm still meeting parents who say, well, my child has a learning disability, but, but I don't want it in their school records. Mm. Well, that's who we are. We 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 think that being different is is wrong, or, or it's or it it, it, it we stigmatize uh, in our society to too great an extent. So, I always begin my conversation about mental health, saying most people who have are going to suffer mental health. And by the way, most people in America are going to have a mental health problem at some point in their life. Uh, obviously, understanding that there are you know there are different levels. Let's just begin by admitting that most people will get through it and recover through it. And then let's be that's then let's build a system that says if someone reaches out to us, uh, then we're going to be in a position to respond. And then let's go to the, the the other portion of the question that you asked. Most people who, who experience mental illness have have aren't they're not made violent by by it. But we do know that people are made violent by uh, some number of people are uh, caused to be violent or exhibit over a longer period of time some violent behaviors. Somebody locked in a room uh, playing day after day um, and only playing day after day violent games, hey, I got news for you. That's a warning sign. Um, it, it doesn't, it's not, it, 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 it's not a decision by an appropriately trained person to say that this person is going to be violent. But, but if, if that's tacked with other behaviors, um, uh, we got to find a way to reach out. Uh, let's go to Alex in Willington. Hello, Alex. Go ahead. You're on with the governor. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Hi, Governor. Hi. Um, well, uh, uh, I'm sympathized with with the families in Newtown. It was a horrible day. It must have been horrible for you, Governor, and and whatnot. But uh, you may recall exactly 24 hours before the shooting started in Newtown, uh, at the last where we live, uh, another caller from Willington asked you about uh, special education and the state's role in special education. And I was wondering, uh, you know, you said that, uh, and I agree with you, that you, you don't think uh, more guns in the school is the, is the answer, armed guards, arming the teachers, et cetera. Uh, and you talked a little bit about mental health. But what about the role of special education, the special needs child? Uh, you know, um, early, I, I understand that uh, the Lanzas had tried, had been in, uh, you know, fighting the Newtown school system when, when Adam was going there uh, and whatnot. And uh, perhaps uh, if the state stepped in more to fund special education, uh, 
you know, future tragedies might might be averted. And, and what, what what is your thought about that now? I, I, I think that uh, first and foremost, uh, education uh, in, in Connecticut and, and actually in America is primarily the responsibility of, of local government. Um, and we do have um, some laws that address this issue. Um, and people do have a, a series of, of rights uh, as well as obligations. That's, that's parental rights, uh, 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 Board of Education obligations. We should hold people to, to those uh, to those standards, and we should do uh, everything everything within our power, understanding that we have to balance um, a lot of interests uh, to be as helpful as we possibly can to uh, people who whose children or to the children themselves who are experiencing um, some some difficulty. Um, I, I think that that in America we have tended, and and what we're in the process of overcoming is this kind of one size fits all, which means that a whole bunch of people remain. Uh, with the needs that are unaddressed, um, we're a lot better than we were, let me assure you, 50 years ago. Um, and, and I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, and hopefully we'll continue that process. One more quick phone call here before our break. Kathy is in Meriden. Hello, Kathy. Hello. You're on the air. Please go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to address the, the comment made earlier that um, someone who suffers from mental illness, I guess um, what the governor was saying was that was not a chronic condition that they're cured from that is that correct yeah mo most people who suffer a a, a a a time or a disease most people um, uh, are, are, are you know listen I, I don't want to I don't want to use too many words because whatever word I use is going to to offend somebody but but most people who experience that at some portion portion of their life are actually going to recover from it now there are there are folks who will not recover from it and we and and, and, I, and I want to acknowledge that as as well but we have we have point. we have stigmatized to such an extent um, um, a mental illness that a lot of people uh, choose not to pursue uh, therapies or treatments for themselves or their children for fear of being stigmatized. Let right. me. Not, I, let, I concur with that. I concur with that. However, I am a psychiatric home care nurse, and I work in the trenches with with this population that you're talking about. And you know, the patients who do suffer from paranoid schizophrenia sure. or bipolar disorder, it's a chronic condition. They do not recover. Of course. And it is long term. And I understand that the plan for the state is to implement home health aids in place of the RNs going in for a daily mental status assessment on these patients that do receive home care. Is that still is that still the plan? I, I gotta tell you I don't I don't have that level of detail at the at the moment. Um, um, I have to tell you that we we have to find uh, um, less expensive ways to serve to to to, do, to deliver higher lo higher levels of service. Uh, we live in a society that, that that is not inviting of tax increases, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And so, if that is one of the suggestions on how we deliver a higher level service at less expense um, with properly trained people, uh, it may be. I, I I don't, but I don't. You know, I don't have that answer for you. Kathy, thank you for your question. We're going to take our last break, and when we come back, we're getting a lot of questions about gun control. We've been talking about mental health, some of the other things that the governor wants to tackle uh, in this upcoming legislative session, but we want to talk a bit more about gun control as well. You can join us at 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wnpr.org. You can tweet us at where we live.
This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on Monday's show, Connecticut doesn't have smog like Los Angeles or Beijing, but that doesn't mean the air quality is always all that good. Last year, Connecticut had the worst air quality in New England. We'll talk with researchers and officials about what is in our air and how it affects our health. It's coming up on the next Where We Live. You can join us on air and online at WNPR.org keyword where. Today we're live on CTN, the Connecticut Network, as we talk with Governor Dan Malloy for his monthly visit. We've been talking about the aftermath of the Newtown shootings and some of the many issues that he's had to tackle uh, as we move to some of the gun control issues that I know you've been speaking with Vice President Biden about and, and many others. One question that's come up in this commission that you put together, the 16-member panel, there are no uh, members of the firearms community here in Connecticut. There are people who still make guns, like Colts just down the street from us, uh, right here in Connecticut. Why does your commission not have any members of the firearms industry on it? Well, it doesn't have members of a lot of industries on it. Uh, 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 we know what the firearms um, uh, industry has is, is been saying. They're major funders of, of advocacy groups that deliver their message. Having said that, um, uh, the firearm industry absolutely is invited uh, to come forward with suggestions, uh, just as I think lots of other people will come to these meetings and make suggestions. So there's no need, there's no desire to exclude them. Uh, but as you look at the membership of, of the group, it really is made up of people with a mental health background primarily or a first response background primarily. But they're going to then listen to people with other backgrounds and other ideas, including uh, uh, the firearms industry. Listen, as a governor, I, I, I'm, I'm actually a member of the, the, the Sportsman's Caucus um, uh, because I believe it's absolutely uh, important that, that, that we not only protect people's rights to, to do hunting, that we actually make them easier, better, and, 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 and encourage it. Um, uh, uh, so I, I, I'm not, I am not anti-gun. I'm not saying that no one should have a gun. I'm just saying that we should have uh, reasonable and better regulation and that a state like us that has taken the lead in many ways uh, on this issue as well, as well as mental health. We're, we're ranked in the top five in mental health services. We're ranked in the top five in, on, on, on gun control uh, issues. But there are all these other things that are playing themselves out in our society. I can go to a gun show, buy a, a handgun uh, in, um, I can buy multiple handguns um, at that show in Florida or Virginia. I can get in my car. I can drive them up to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York City, or one of the urban areas in our state or Massachusetts, sell those guns on the street. Um, and that's how many of the guns that are used in, in uh, crimes within our neighborhoods uh, are, are getting to our state. That's the reality. Let's close that loophole. Uh, closing loopholes like you've been talking about, background checks. So For that every gun purchased. Every gun purchased. Talking about the different types of ammunition sold and the capacity of the magazines. One question I've had, you, you brought this up early on. We had a bill on the last legislative session that really went nowhere uh, about this. You want to ban the size of the magazines, but we're, we're talking now about 10 rounds in a magazine. Why 10? Why is the number 10 as opposed to a smaller number than that? We, we hear from a lot of hunters, you don't need more than three bullets if you're going to go out and, and shoot. Yeah. Um, I, I think 10 is the number that people have gone to because that's what was in the assault weapons ban that expired um, a number of years ago when, when uh, uh, the Congress didn't have the guts to, to stand up to the, um, uh, the gun lobby. I, I want to go to Sasha, who's calling from Hartford. Hi, Sasha. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, uh, I just have an idea, and I just want to ask Garner, uh, uh, Garner uh, if it might it might be working. So, uh, with new uh, technology we available right now, maybe new kind of uh, gun generation can be developed where 
built-in GPS and built-in gun control can be uh, in a control gun itself, not you know, not the builders. Sure. or any other areas. So we can uh, set, the, you know, by GPS, gun, for, you know, shooting-free zone. We can, you know, it's not only for schools, it's maybe for malls, for a train station, etc. So if this new generation of guns can be controlled, centralized, yeah, well, and it's a good question. Governor? So, so the technology is evolving um, and and rapidly, and, and so I think there are all kinds of technologies that will be discussed. Uh, there is a certain reality that we that whatever we do has to, has to have an appreciation that there are already a heck of a lot of guns out there, um, in fact, 50% of the world's supply. Um, so uh, uh, we're going to have to uh, balance that. Uh, having said that, you know, making guns safer uh, and, and making them more easily identified and connecting them to uh, owner uh, are things that we should pursue uh, uh, reasonably and, and makes a whole lot of sense. Is that a conversation you think you could have with the gun makers that are based in Connecticut? I mean, do you think you could sit down? Because obviously you want to protect jobs here in Connecticut. You've said you want to protect the right of sportsmen to, to carry guns and these companies to sell them. Do you think you could sit down and say, let's have a realistic conversation between us about what guns you're going to make, what guns you're going to sell? So now I'm going to tell you something that most people don't understand. Smith & Wesson years ago tried to do that. Um, take the lead uh, in the industry. Um, and they were badly punished by um, uh, folks for having done that. Um, th there are people in the gun industry that if you had private conversations with would be able to even agree on some of the things that I'm talking about. For instance, there are people in the gun industry who believe that there should be universal uh, background checks, but they're not going to come forward and say it at least not now, because they saw what happened to Smith & Wesson in the marketplace um, and the comments that, they were, that were made about them in all kinds of publications for having sat down, that they're afraid to do that. That's a reality, um, and it doesn't get talked about, um, but that's what happened. So, uh, you know, the, the, everyone is afraid of uh, folks um, uh, getting beat up in the marketplace are getting beat up in Washington, are getting beat, beaten up by the folks who promote the use of guns for various uh, reasons in magazines and sporting and all the rest of it. So they, they don't, no one wants to take the lead. But, but, but there is, there would yeah. be, there, but, but in private conversations, there, there would be broader agreement on some of these points uh, than, than, than anyone who is going to appear uh, on behalf of the gun lobby on a Washington-based show on a Sunday is going to ever admit because they, because they don't want it to happen. But, so how do you draw out those people from those private conversations? If you've got really bipartisan, you know, we talked about Joe Manchin in West Virginia, someone who's a gun rights supporter who's really open to change in this world right now. Do you think that you can draw some of these private conversations out into the public and maybe you taking the lead? Because, again, there's still a gun industry here I, in Connecticut. I, I just want to point out that you said Joe Manchin, who's a supporter. I'm a supporter. I, I mean, yeah. listen, I, I, we have a constitution. Constitutions have certain language. But the constitutions don't say, for instance, that everyone has to have a machine gun. In the 1930s, machine guns became owned by criminals. We decided that no one, no one should have a machine gun. Guess what? We don't see machine guns getting used. Uh, we've, we made a decision uh, in post-World War I uh, when people were bringing home uh, uh, bombs and, and, and the forerunner of the modern um, a hand grenade that, that citizenry should not own a hand grenade. 
Well, guess what? We don't see them being used in, in crimes. We certainly don't distribute them. The, these things have an impact. Even on the assault weapons uh, basis, we, we actually did have a time in, in our country when, when uh, these magazines were limited. That's what we should do. There's agreement on these things. It's not an impossibility, but it's an impossibility if you decide that, that you have to have an agreement with, with everybody who takes really crazy positions. Uh, let's quickly go to the phones again. Senator Ed Meyer is calling us up. Uh, hi, Senator. Go ahead quickly, if you would. We're running low on time. Okay, John. Thank you. And hi, Governor. Hey. I just wanted to mention about uh, gun magazines. I went out to the uh, uh, state police gun range in Simsbury recently and got a bit of a training. And, and what the state police said is that if you have any magazine, a bad guy can change the magazine in one second. So you're going to, if you have a magazine of of, of 10 rounds, you're going to be able to change that to another 10 rounds very, very quickly. And therefore, I think one of the bills we're going to consider in Hartford will be no magazines, no clips. You'll be you'll be allowed to shoot a bullet out of the chamber. Of- uh, and I apologize, Senator Meyer. Uh, I, yeah. Yep. Go go ahead, hey, Governor. Hey, I apologize. Listen, I, I am not uh, uh, going to make pursuit of the perfect uh, the obstacle to better. Um, so I, I, I think the legislature can have their discussions. Um, I, I don't think that that's ever going to happen in the United States. Um, and what I think we have to get to on the United States, because these things don't stop at borders, uh, is to a better point than where we currently are. I don't believe that that regulation will ever be uh, applicable uh, across the entire United States. So uh, on a United States basis, um, uh, I believe that we should be talking about going back to the assault weapons ban standard, uh, which was a substantially better standard than what we're, we're talking about. By the way, the number of guns that, that, that the, the slide on of the magazine doesn't quite work as well. I mean, I, 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 you know, well, actually, let's, let, let's just use um, uh, uh, shooting an Aurora. It was during the change of, of one of those clips that people were able to t- tackle the, the person. So, and, and he had large capacity. Um, and I think that also happened in another shooting in Arizona, if I remember correctly. So uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue on a national basis better. We can have discussions in Connecticut about anything. Uh, Governor Daniel Malloy, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you again next month, hopefully, uh, again, in, in better circumstances. Yeah. And uh, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. If you want to continue this conversation online, go to WNPR.org, keyword where. I'm John Dankosky, and this is where we live.